I'm Joe. And I'm Sarah. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the Full, Full of it. it. What is the Full of It, you might ask? Well, the Full of It is a podcast where Joe and I, your two best friends, talk about our journeys on leveling up in all aspects in life and share that with you guys to hopefully help you live happier, more fulfilled lives as well. Yeah, I mean, what we noticed is there's a lot of great therapy podcasts, mm-hmm. but there's there's nothing that's, like, conversational and fun. It's all very clinical and very, like, mm-hmm. suit and tie is how, <laughs> how I would awkwardly describe that. But basically, we just want to be the podcast that maybe you play when you're making dinner or driving your car or just, like, need just, like, your, your best friends that just want to help you out in life to, like come and drink a glass of wine with you and have a good time talking about how to make life better. Exactly. And we are going to start off the season with an episode on perspective, which actually all starts with how I met your mother. Uh. I mean, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. She really wanted to say that line. I did. (laughs) But we met in college and we were sorority girls. We were those. Yep. And so we met in our sorority. She, I don't even know the words anymore. To the sorority stuff. Theta. What did you do? Did you pledge? Rush? Was it rush week? It was rush week. Yeah. <laughs> we met during rush week. Yeah. So I was already in the sorority. Mm-hmm. She joined. She became the little of someone I knew and we became friends. I don't know if you've ever been in a sorority and especially a sorority in Santa Cruz, but there's really nothing else to do but uh, drink. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of that. We did. Yeah. And so with that, we kind of started noticing that maybe we had some issues. <laughs> Maybe some deep-seated issues. Maybe. (laughs) And so, with that, some things happened, and it made us really value perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I say things happen, I mean it's probably story time. (laughs) I think it's story time, Joe. Yeah. Well, Sarah and I had some beef for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe some beef and then some cheddar. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Clearly, we've gotten past, but for a while, we were not speaking. Mm-hmm. Because I did something that was amazing that I didn't get caught for. Mm. And there was one time, and I had just come back from studying abroad, and I was hanging out with Sarah, and Sarah had recently started dating a frat boy. <laughs> Took me to a frat party, and at this frat party, she proceeded to participate in some things that made it so that she was asleep on the couch, leaving me alone with some people that I had just met and wanted very much for them to like me. And so because of that, we ended up in a situation where people needed to be driven. And I said that I was sober enough and I volunteered after having had several shots. uh, And I was not sober enough, but proceeded to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And at the location that we went to, I told these strangers that I had basically met there. And yeah, they were uncomfortable with me, but had to drive back with me because that was the situation that we were in. And I found Sarah later that night and thought everything was fine. And it completely just evaded my mind that that had happened. Because, you know, when you're intoxicated, you do dumb things and you don't appreciate the gravity of some of the things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And she didn't find out that night because I didn't tell her. Mm -hmm. She was told by the people who were strangers to me and friends to her that that had happened. And I called her the next day saying, hey, what are we doing? Like the idiot that I was, so naive to the fact that I had just probably made the, not the biggest mistake of my life, but definitely one that was going to forever change my life. And she said, what happened? And I said, what? And she was like, they told me that you drove them drunk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I was stunned for work. I, it was the truth. 
and I was looking for every single excuse that it wasn't the truth. Yeah. But it was the truth. And so I had to admit that and own up to it. And I thought that saying sorry was going to be enough. And at that time, it wasn't enough. No, I was going through some things myself and really concerned about my friend, really concerned about other people. And I didn't know how to show up for you and help you through that. And so I remember on that phone call, I said, I'm so sorry, but I just, I can't be around this right now. Mm-hmm. I need some space. I don't know how much space, for how long. I'm not saying that this is forever, but I think we both need to be apart right now. Yeah. And while that was what was needed, that was not not what I wanted to hear. That was soul crushing to me because I had basically just gotten back from being away from a long time. We were in summer school, so mm-hmm. like most of our friends weren't even there. And Sarah had been one of the few people that was there over summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went into a huge period of reflection, but that started with a lot of crying. And at some point, I think I had gotten into like a solid month of just crying because I felt alone and I felt like I was wrong. Like all of me was wrong because I did something that was unforgivable and very much against my values, but I couldn't understand that I was just reacting out of this hurt place of wanting to be liked mm-hmm. and wanting to be helpful that I had put people in danger. And there became a point where it was, it was enough. I couldn't continue to exist that way. And this is what I would call my dark night of the soul. For those of you who've never heard that phrase before, the dark night of the soul is basically, it's the pivotal moment. Typically, it's a bad one. And it's maybe a mistake that you made or something that happened to you that just forever changes your life and makes it so that you cannot look at life the same way. The turning point. The turning point. Mm -hmm. And so that was my turning point. And that was when I decided... I, well, it wasn't that I decided. It was I actually saw my thoughts and my mindset and how it was affecting me and how it was affecting my life and realized that that mindset, that default mode that I was going through, was hurting my life. Mm-hmm. It was hurting me and was hurting other people that were surrounding me. And so it's because of that that I decided that I needed to take a hard look at my thoughts and what I was thinking and what stories I was telling myself Mm -hmm. and I needed to change that and I needed to decide how I actually viewed those things so that I I could be someone that I respected right and that is what kicked it all off for me but what I really respected is that you sat down and you did the work and when you reached out and came back to me and said hey let's talk You know, I could tell that you were genuine. I could tell that you really looked inwards and you addressed the, I guess, issues that had manifested in reality. And, you know, someone who's willing to take a hard look at themselves and take accountability for their actions and change, that is something that I really respected and I admire you to this day about. Well, thank you. So, in the end, the dark night of the soul is really a blessing, and I definitely had my own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I was not an angel either in college, and... Well, you were in a sorority, so how how could you have been? Fair. You know, we had a little bit of our partying phase, and there was a period of time where I was drinking so much that I would black out consistently and this was happening several times a week um on a consistent basis pretty much every single time I would drink I just I had no filter you know reasoning behind it trying to escape reality we all do that sometimes yeah we were quite the pair 
honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Trouble would happen when we were drunk together. There was one time where I went to a party, and I think the cops showed up to the party, and I went to go meet up with my friend, but I was physically with someone, and they brought me to this house, and my friend that I had wanted to meet up with was at a house a couple miles away, and I remember telling the people that I was with that my Uber was outside, didn't order an Uber, I just walked out of that house and, like, ran. (laughs) (laughs) What? I don't know if you know this. You you never told me the running part. Oh. (laughs) And I don't remember anything after that, but... I never made it to the house where I was going to meet up with my friend. I don't know where I went. Fast forward, I'm coming out of my blackout at 6 a.m. in the middle of downtown Santa Cruz. I have no idea how I got there because that was several miles away from where I remember running instead of getting into the Uber and, like, when I essentially blacked out. And, you know, we're sorority girls. I'm not wearing a ton of clothes at the time. And it's 6 a.m. The sun is out. People are driving to work. (laughs) And I just remember thinking, oh my god, what am I doing? I need to not do this. I am so surprised and thankful and grateful that I am safe right now and something has, you know, terrible has not happened to me. Mm -hmm. But maybe I need to work on this and I need to change. Mm -hmm. I remember that was also you know, around the time my then housemates nearly sat me down for an intervention, which, you know, reflecting back, maybe, deserved. (laughs) (laughs) But that was one of the turning points for me, and I, you know, we can have several over the course of our lifetime, but that did start one of my dark nights of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. You were, like, one, one or two possibilities away from being in a very dangerous situation. If it was any other city, I mean, I, yeah, I'm just so blessed to think that, you know, the worst thing I did that night, not, that night was lose my phone. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I found, like, three weeks later. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But if we can think of those moments as lessons or blessings, Mm -hmm. we can start to shift our perspective. Yeah, that's true. And as sad as it is to say, or unfortunate, sometimes those moments are necessary Mm -hmm. to bring you closer to what your values are. Yes. And like looking at your actions because you have something that is blatantly, oh, that's putting myself in harm's way, or oh, that's putting others in harm's mm-hmm. way, or oh, that like, that's it's not going to fly right. for too long. Mm-hmm. And it basically just points at the need to reflect, which in itself is a blessing, because reflecting is a blessing. But I think the key takeaway is that a dark night of the soul really just makes you aware of what your you know, default reaction is. We talked a bit about this before, but... Mm-hmm what your instinct is, and you can't change what you don't measure, Mm -hmm. right? So you need to become aware of what your default is. And so you need to become aware of what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, Mm -hmm. in order to make better choices going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And And dark nights of the soul are not easy by any means. They bring up a lot of unconscious feelings, residual trauma, You know, anything that you haven't addressed within yourself is probably going to come up. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) And it's going to be really freaking difficult. Yeah, and big and scary and Mm -hmm. painful. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's sitting in those feelings and having compassion for yourself where you get to heal and grow and move forward. Yeah, and the thing is, if it does come up, Mm -hmm. it's not that it wasn't affecting you before then. 
it's just that you might have become numb to it. Mm-hmm. And now that it is coming back up, like it's something that you have to face and deal with. Mm-hmm. So in that, in your default, or like what I notice when I react from my default, because I do believe that your default still exists as like healing is cyclical. So mm-hmm. it, there's always going to be more things that get brought up with each different scenario in life that you're living. Right. But like with my default, like I notice that it is little things that might have affected me when I was younger. And then I'll have like a split second memory of, oh, that was painful. Right. I have to remember that I'm showing up in the situation as an adult and trying to work towards showing up in this situation as my higher self. Mm-hmm. I have to give love to that painful little memory that just came up and shift my perspective and choose my reaction mm-hmm. to something or to how someone I would respect would react in that situation. And you and I are both very hard on ourselves. And so sometimes thinking about yourself is difficult. But if you take whatever you experienced, whatever happened to you, and you swap your best friend out Mm -hmm. in that story, or you swap your mom, or your boyfriend, your husband, your sister, your brother, whoever Mm -hmm. is a loved one and super important to you in your life, how would you respond then? Because when you do that, sometimes you have a much more compassionate response about them than you do when you're thinking about yourself in that scenario. Yeah. I know I've totally done that to you. Yes. <laughs> you, I know. <laughs> you, ha- you still have to do that to me. <laughs> yeah. When you're a chronic people pleaser, which both of us are, sometimes you need to take the step back and say, if my best friend was telling me what is happening to me is happening to them, mm-hmm. how would I tell them to proceed? Yes. And more times than not, I would be harsher on myself mm-hmm. than I would be on my best friend. Absolutely. And so I'm like, to treat myself as the best friend in that scenario. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing, the biggest first step is realizing that you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You have thoughts, right? Which means that you also have the power to change them. Yeah, but part of that is also knowing how to witness your thoughts Mm -hmm. and even just taking that first step back because, again, I'm going to bring up the default, Mm -hmm. is the default is that mental chatter. It is that feeling that you are your thoughts and that every single thought that comes up is an expression of you. Mm -hmm. But what I think the first step in moving towards acting as your higher self or that person who you respect that you want to be is saying, I'm not my mental chatter. Right. I'm going to take a step back and observe my mental chatter. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to decide, do I actually agree with that? Mm-hmm. Like, do I actually do I actually think that I'm a horrible person and that I'm so awkward? No, those are just the intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And so once you observe them, you can reprogram your brain, essentially, mm-hmm. by telling yourself things that are true, finding things that you do love about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that is often not given enough credit is that it's really hard to change yeah. your thoughts. Like, it takes a long time Mm -hmm. to become more compassionate towards yourself, especially if you're starting at 20 or 30 or 40. Mm -hmm. You've just got years of repetitive thoughts that you've brought up about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so swapping out one and replacing it for a good thought when you have 700,000 in a day. Yeah. That takes time. Yeah, it takes time. And... I do have a little bit of a background in neuroscience and just this, you know, study of psychology, this cognitive science study of the brain. And the brain literally is 
resistant to change. The brain wants to do the same thing that it's always done because it's the easiest, it's the fastest, and your brain creates those neural pathways and it wants to take the ones that it's already been taking. Mm -hmm. So to change, you have to disrupt your thinking pattern and literally build new neural pathways, which is not easy. No, and it takes time. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your higher self earlier, and I wanted to touch a little bit more on that. Mm -hmm. What is your higher self and how do you get in touch with it? I personally believe that the higher self is someone that you respect. Mm-hmm. Well, higher self as in yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's, I wouldn't say the ideal version of yourself in the sense of like perfect body or perfect hair or anything physical, but it, it's like the person how you respect how they act, how you want to be, basically. You're like pure consciousness. Yeah. That's what I would define higher self as and how to get in touch with it. Well, one, I think it starts with interrupting your thoughts and deciding how would your higher self or your best self react to those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Our thinking brain is what's constantly going. Mm-hmm. So that's what you have the most access to, to change, actually, is the thing that is constantly happening and the thing that you have constant access to. Mm-hmm. I also think I'm a very visual person. Mm-hmm. So what I find really helps me is thinking about actually visualizing that higher self going through a whole day, mm. like a whole normal day, not like a vacation day or a random day, but how they would structure their time to have uh, or to be moving towards what they want or like a better, more happier self. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's that's the real goal is to, to be a better, happier self. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that with your higher self, with finding out what's good for you and what's not good for you, There is no right and wrong. Mm -hmm. It really is such a personal, individualized process. But I think this is a good time to bring up the Taoist farmer. Taoist farmer. The Taoist farmer. Uh Uh-huh. Have you heard of it? I, well, (laughs) you told me before this podcast, so I I have heard of it. (laughs) But go ahead and tell the story. Well, there is a farmer in ancient China. He has a horse. And his neighbors say, you're so lucky to have a horse to pull the cart for you. Maybe. He response the farmer response one day the farmer doesn't launch the gate properly and the horse runs away the neighbors come back and say oh no that's terrible news such bad luck the farmer replies maybe a few days later the horse returns and it brings with it six wild horses how fantastic you're so lucky his neighbors say maybe the farmer replied the following week the farmer's son was breaking in one of the wild horses and it throws him to the ground and breaks his leg the neighbors come back oh no such bad luck all over again maybe the farmer says The next day, soldiers come and take away the young men to fight in the army, but the farmer's son was left behind because of his leg. You're so lucky, his neighbors say. Maybe, the farmer says. When we interpret a situation as an opportunity or a disaster, that is kind of how it shapes the way that we respond. But the Taoist farmer shows us that you never really know how a situation is going to work out. There's no intrinsic good or bad to something. Things just happen. And you always have a choice on how you look at it. Like mm-hmm. my pelvis, for example. That's the segue you're going with? Yes. <laughs> um, All right. Take your <laughs> pelvis. Take my pelvis. Before you get any bad ideas, I fractured my pelvis with my car. And please please enlighten people how, how you might have done that. Okay. So <laughs> I recently moved, kind of recently. And I was moving my storage unit into my garage. I hired someone, by the way, to move all the furniture pieces, which is the funny part, 
And that person left, and I backed my car into the driveway up by the garage, but it's a very narrow driveway. There's a wall and a bush on either side, and I had to get out to move the trash can so that I could actually back all the way up against the garage. And as I started to do that and start to walk towards the trash cans, I realized that my car was moving forward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that I had not taken my car and put it in park. I had actually left it in neutral. So uh-huh. I had a split second to decide what to do. My driver's door is open. My options are, you know, my car crashes into the side of the house. My car makes it to the street and runs into a tree, car, or person walking their child home from school as I live close to an elementary school. Or get in that car. So I chose C, try and get in that car. I say try because I did not succeed in Mm -hmm. getting into the car. And the car door ended up closing on my pelvis. And my pelvis is what stopped the car. And that is how I ended up fracturing my pelvis. But the moral of the story is we have been practicing this kind of thinking and this kind of mentality for several years now. This ain't our first rodeo. Mm -hmm. And when the accident happened... You know, it probably would have been very easy for me to go, oh, poor me, oh, I can't believe this happened to me. But I knew immediately what the universe was trying to tell me, what the lesson really was from the situation, and that was to take myself out of neutral and put myself in park. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a person who is a workaholic, I do a lot of things, I make a lot of commitments to people, and earlier in the year, I knew... I needed to take some time to rest and do some more healing on some other things that came up for me. And I took a lot of steps in that direction, but I didn't fully commit to it. I'm still dog-sitting for people. I was still running around, going to events, doing this, doing that. And so the universe just kind of stepped in and said, actually, we need you to be fully in park. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Yeah. (laughs) Which, now it's kind of incredible that you could look at that and have that perspective instead of feeling broken or Mm -hmm. feeling like you're out of the game. And I, I mean, it would have made recovery so much more miserable. I was bedbound for the better part of a month. Three months later, I'm just starting to be able to do normal exercises that, you know, everyone does. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, also, it increases my gratitude to be able to do little things like take out the trash. Mm Mm-hmm. And finding more joy in your everyday life primes your brain Mm -hmm. to keep finding more positive things as you go throughout the day. Yeah. So that's also helpful. Absolutely. I mean, your perspective on that injury was vastly different than my perspective when I got injured. Do tell. I was much younger. Well, not much younger. Mm -hmm. I'm not that old. But uh, I was 20, and I, out of the blue, had a herniated disc, and it made it impossible to sit or lay down. Mm Mm-hmm. I could walk, and so I kind of viewed myself as a shark. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know this. (laughs) During that time. Well, I did. I also used to look at people walking around, because that was the only thing I could do. (laughs) And I used to say in my head, I bet you're such a good sitter. (laughs) (laughs) I was so mad. Um, Yeah, I, I was... I felt like I was out of the game. I didn't understand why it was happening to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have an injury. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even have, like, a car to point it at. Right. Yeah. But 
I I was able to see some good in it, mostly because I was determined to no longer be in that situation because mm-hmm. it felt ridiculous to have a herniated disc at 20. And so in that, I had to move from a perspective where I felt really terrible mm-hmm. about it and, like, was literally looking at other people, like, how privileged are you that you can sit down <laughs> and lay down to... I'm going to get through this. Like, I started doing the stretching that you do for sciatica every day, Mm -hmm. and I was able to get it better, but in the end, I did end up having to have surgery, but because I had been strength training, I was able to go backpacking, like, a month after. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a whole perspective arc of really starting feeling pulled out of the game to, I got through it. And that is, I think, what what it's about, is being able to adapt to your Mm -hmm. situation. And be able to pull out the good because then you just might be able to do things that you never thought possible. Exactly. And I think, you know, your journey, you saw something and you were like, okay, what's one thing that I can do to make the situation better? Mm -hmm. I can stretch. Yeah. What's one way I can be happier? What's one way I can show up differently? And really, it just takes that first step, right? You just want to find something small Mm -hmm. that's attainable. That's not, you know, this crazy goal. Yeah, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna conquer Rome in a day. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can't go from being a couch potato to running marathons. Mm-hmm. But you can, you know, decide to put on your running shoes. Yeah, you can just commit to putting on your socks even. Mm-hmm. And putting one foot in the shoe. Mm-hmm. You can commit to going on one walk around the block. Yeah, yeah. You can do one push-up. Mm-hmm. Or if that's not attainable for you, you're, you're a lost cause. <laughs> if that's not attainable for you, you're a lost cause. Kidding. <laughs> no one's a lost cause here, Sarah. <laughs> Do a squat. Um, but no, really, the hardest part is just starting, which actually takes me to another concept in neuroscience, which is when you get the impulse to do something, you have approximately three seconds to do it. Otherwise, your brain is going to start making excuses for yourself. Mm -hmm. So a really good way to interrupt your thought pattern is when you get that impulse to, I don't know, take out the trash, to meal prep, to journal, whatever, count down backwards from three, two, one, go, and just Mm -hmm. do it. Just go. But they found that if you wait longer than those three seconds, people are way less likely to actually do the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I'm totally that way. Still that way, a little bit, actually. Sometime. I mean... Me too. Well, <laughs> there was actually one time, I remember, it was when we were living together, mm-hmm. and I told you I wanted to jump in the ocean every day. Yes. And it was a desire that I've actually had since college, and I've had, I've been very privileged to live walking distance from the beach for quite a few years now. It's very nice. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> but I was not taking advantage of this thing that I've imagined doing mm-hmm. until I told you, basically, mm-hmm. and you're like well, we could just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And I, I can't remember. Was I already going on morning walks at that time? No, not really. Okay. Well, I you wanted used to. to and I wanted to. And having a partner that said, oh, I want to do this thing, I set my alarm. And every morning, one of us would wake the other one up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd put on our suits. We'd get there. And since the hardest part is starting and showing up, Mm-hmm. Having no. someone else who can be your excuse denier <laughs> and pokes you and pushes you. Mm-hmm. And then you're there. You're at the beach. You're in your swimsuit. It's almost a shame to not jump in. Yeah. 
you're at the gym, you're dressed, you're ready, it's pretty much a shame to not do a quick workout. Yeah. And usually once you're in it, yeah, it's more fun. Yes. Like it was, once we were in the water. It was very warm. It was, it was warm. Great. It was great. And I was upset we had to get out. Yeah. <laughs> usually we'd stay in for 15, 20, 30. Yeah. yeah. Depending on the day, how much time we had. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, sometimes sometimes you just have to make it like, stupid easy for yourself. And whether that's, like, having someone to do it with mm-hmm. um, or setting yourself reminders. Like, even even for just normal tasks, sometimes I set reminders. Take out the trash because it needs to go out this week. Or if you're an incentive person, you can, you know, how can you make it more attractive to yourself? Mm-hmm. If I do X, Y, and Z, then I can go to the movies yeah. that I really want to see. Or get myself that, that ice cream that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I get to take a nap. Some people love rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love rest as much as the next person. But another way that I like to, I guess, think about tasks that are necessary. You mean your, like your to-do list? Kind of like my to-do list. Well, exactly my to-do list. I don't actually call it a to-do list. You don't? No. I call it a re- to-receive list. To-receive list. Because my future self is going to be receiving a clean room. Mm-hmm. Going to be receiving meals that are ready for the week so that on my lunch break I don't have to think about cooking. Mm-hmm. It's going to be receiving an empty trash can so I don't, you know, it doesn't smell and I'm not struggling to fit something else in the can. Mm. But I found that putting myself in the perspective of, oh, I'm doing this as a gift to my future self mm-hmm. will oftentimes be that little push to get me to do that thing because throughout the week I work, I'm busy. Our, you know, we get so caught up in our lives that going to the grocery store is the last thing you want you to do at the end of your 9 to 5 or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you do for your life. But if I go today, I'll make tomorrow just that much easier for myself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've actually, I hadn't thought about it like that, but it makes sense. That's something that you're giving to me on this podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, or like thinking about the mm-hmm. to receive list. Something that I've been doing is replacing my I have to's with I get twos. Powerful. Thank you. I am someone who just got a puppy, and I love him to death. He is a ball of energy. And I am not used to having a ball of energy that needs to be run every day. Mm -hmm. But that was part of the reason I got him, was I'm someone who wants to run every day. Now I have an accountability little monster. Partner. (laughs) Partner. Yeah, a partner who keeps me running every day. And for a while, it felt like I have to. But now I look at it as I get to take him on a run, and I get to go outside, and I get to go do the things that I feel like is part of a good life. Mm-hmm. And thinking about your, I have to make breakfast, is I get to make myself a beautiful meal. Mm-hmm. And thinking about I have to take a shower, is I get to make myself ready and clean for the day. And enjoy hot water. And enjoy hot water. Yeah. Yeah. Or cold water or a cold shower. Yeah. 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 Some people do hard things too. (laughs) You could even do that right now, actually, with your, with all of your I have tos. Mm -hmm. Because I'm someone who definitely to-do lists. And so write an I get to list. I get to work remotely today, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, at least it's a privilege that I'm excited for, of not having to go to an office, of Mm -hmm. getting to be in control of my time. Mm -hmm. Even though, like, sometimes it's not always enjoyable, but... Nothing good is ever easy. No. Mm-mm. But I think how we got here, how we got to where we are today, is in our dark night of the soul, we 
thought about who our ideal self is. What yeah. do they do? What do they wear? What do they eat? How do they talk? How do they think? Mm-hmm. And shifting perspective from how would they react in the situation and how can I take that information of how I would respect how someone reacts in the situation. And just take a step towards that. Yeah, and take a step towards that. Mm-hmm. And it's an everyday thing. Sometimes you take a step back. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. As long as you try to keep taking steps forward. Exactly. And with that, go take a step forward into your day. Thank you for tuning in to episode one. We'll catch you next time. This is The Full of It with Sarah and Joe. Keep your glass half full. No, keep your glass full full. <laughs> <laughs>